So welcome everybody to another Meet the Author. I'm Tamara Paris from Safeopedia, and it's really great that we're able to bring this community program to everybody. I'm gonna hand it right over to our host, Gary. But before I do that, I do wanna share that we're also at Safeopedia doing workshops now. So I'm gonna drop that link in the um, chat for people to check out if they want. Gary, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Tamara. Morning, everyone. Uh, I think we've got a really interesting show today. It's uh, with Jeff Dalto. And I do, I do want to just do a quick shout out that we have Jeff's parents on as well, listening on. So, uh, Jeff, you got to be on your show today. Hi, Mom and Dad. Okay, here you go. Mom and Dad, I, I, we love you. Thank you for everything you did. <laughs> all right. So let me do it, first of all, by starting off with uh, a bit of a disclosure. Rosa and I are both contributors into the guide, and the book I'm talking about is the one that Jeff authored. It's called A Guide to Practicing New Safety. So let me start off right into it and say, Jeff, why did you decide to write this new safety guide? Well, uh, let me say hi to everybody out there. Um, hi to everybody who had me on. I appreciate it. Um, and I did this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first was uh, I had been creating a whole bunch of stuff on my own. And this idea of being an editor instead of an author was pretty attractive because I was kind of just out of uh, ideas at the moment. But I also felt um, there's a lot of interest in new safety. And sometimes some of the uh, approaches, some of the things that are available to, to learn from are, are pretty hard to read or maybe not, not completely accessible. I wanted something that was a little bit easier to read, something um, that might be, uh, the, the title mentions, uh, you know, something like how to, how to, what is the title, Gary, again? This is your point, actually. A guide to practicing new safety. Yeah, so little intro tips to start practicing, start how, to, how to begin. I, I didn't, uh, there's probably other great resources out there that can help you begin practicing what we're gonna be calling new safety, and we'll talk about that term, but. I thought that that would be a, a nice thing to provide to people. I get questions about that. And, and I knew that there's just um, one of the things I think is really exciting about this community is there's this uh, community of practice and, and people who are willing to uh, learn together. And, um, you know, I had some simple questions over time and I thought other people would have the same questions. So um, I just thought I'd try to tap into it. And I thought it went over, you know, better than I expected, better than I hoped. Great, great. I think you want to maybe say a few words about um, a person that was really instrumental in helping you connect, and that's Jeff Lith. Unfortunately, Jeff um, was going to join us today, but uh, he had a uh, he had a conflict, so he couldn't. But Jeff, you want to just talk about Jeff? Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, we missed Jeff Lith, and we're sorry he's not here today. He was a last minute scratch. Um, but, you know, I've known Jeff for years uh, just through social media. You know, it's one of those things where one of us reached out to the other years ago, which is my introduction to all this new safety, safety differently hop thing is LinkedIn. Probably goes back to Ron Gant and Dave Collins. And um, but Jeff was one of the guys who maybe reached out to me, if I recall, uh, pretty early. And we've continued to reach out to one another over years. Uh, as I mentioned to you, Gary, despite the fact neither Jeff nor I will ever make a dollar for each other. And we keep helping each other. We've done this for years. And um, around January, if I recall, I, I, sh I shot off an email to him and I told him what I was thinking about doing. And, and he, he, he encouraged me and you know, said, yeah, you should do that. 
And then I sent my, my four questions, which the guide is four questions. I ask all these different contributors and he, and he, he, you know, encouraged me with the questions. And then, um, then I said, I need help trying to figure out who to, who to get to contribute. So he helped me with the contributor list. And then some of the contributors are uh, people I know, um, but others were not people I knew. And so then I said, Jeff, could I CC you on the email to these people to try to get in the door? And, and, and so he, he, did, he did that. And then he just kept encouraging me the whole way through. And you know, I think it's typical of Jeff Lith and, and, the, and the support he, he provides to people in the community. And I think it's to a degree typical of the community as well. So hats off to Jeff Lith, we miss him. And um, yeah, look forward to talking to him again soon. Check out his website, by the way, at safetydifferently.com. And if I could just pipe here, when I'm looking at the table of contents, it's really great that I'm also seeing some people that we have in the room here also, like Tanya, I'm seeing your name in there. So some of the people that you know sitting here were also in this guide. Yeah, I don't know who all's here today, but I can certainly say Rosa's in the guide, Gary's mm -hmm. in the guide, Tanya's in the guide. Um, uh, People I met because of the guide might be in the expanded guide. I see Elisa Lynch there from Ireland. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, so there are definitely a lot of uh, people. So, so again, so, some of whom I only knew tangentially when I sent this email. Like Gary and Rose and I probably had exchanged a few messages on, on social media, but that's probably where we, we maxed out at that point. And others didn't know me at all. Tristan Casey had no idea who I was, but he submitted uh, immediately, so. Well, so, so let me just share you my experience when I got asked, and um, I was actually quite honored and pleased that you sent the invitation to me, Jeff, to contribute. Your questions were very pointed, and the fact that the guide title included practicing. When I was writing my contribution, I tried to offer not the why and the what, but more the how aspects, how to get started, how, how to take something academic and operationalize it for practitioners. And that's what I kind of wrote towards. I'm, I'm curious, Rosa, Tanya, anybody else that was a contributor, what sort of, um, what sort of um, thoughts, thoughts did you go through when you wrote your piece? Rosa, do you have any comments on that? Sure. Um, well, I thought it was uh, really important because of the cultural divide happening between safety one and safety two, mm -hmm. that we begin to, um, to talk about what we mean by safety differently, which it really isn't that different. It's just because it's always been about people. That's, that's my interpretation. So, so I think uh, that's really what we were able to do is, is explain it in a way that hopefully people will read it and say, oh, I can get behind that rather than get stuck on, on the name. How about you, Tanya? You're muted, Tanya. I think Jeff might remember that um, I was a bit reluctant to participate because I am, um, unlike a lot of people who are contributing to this discussion, I don't have that background. I am not a CRSP. I never claim to be. I don't have any kind of, um, you know, accreditation with respect to uh, traditional safety that I have to distance myself from or anything like I don't I don't have that pedigree so I was I was telling uh, Jeff Dalto I don't know if I'm really the person you want to be contributing to this because I don't know where I can fit into this this whole picture that you're painting 
I do remember that, Tanya, and uh, I remember Jeff Lith helped me uh, helped encourage you to to join in. And you know, one of the things well, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later is I think what we're calling new safety is one of the things I like about it is it um, it's multidisciplinary. So I felt you you fit in quite well. And and of course, as I think everybody knows, I'm also not a safety professional. I'm a I'm a learning and development guy. So um, I was I was happy to have a non safety professional join me, Tanya. As uh, and I'm not a safety professional either. I and so I just picked the question I felt I could answer. I didn't answer all the questions. I noticed that you were a bit of a rule breaker, but safety too isn't all about rules. So I decided to let you in the guide anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you. I feel so included, and I belong. <laughs> yeah, you know, in one hand, I was a contributor, but I was also a very avid and curious reader. And I, what really struck me was the diversity of thinking. And if it's anything that we require in safety and looking forward towards what we call new safety, this is diverse thinking. So it's not about either or, you know, you're right, I'm wrong. I think we got to get over that. We got to look at this is the both end and how can we actually look at both end and maybe go to a place that we've never been before together. Well, well, Jeff, you had an interesting role because you're not an author, but you're a curator. How different did you find this? Oh, it was, like I said, it was, um, in some sense, it was, it was great because um, it was kind of a break. Um, I, if, if I do write, I uh, write a lot. Um, I create a lot of content. And, and there are times when you just kind of run out of things to say um, and, and need to sit back so from my own personal perspective, watching these submissions come in, it, I think it took me about a month and a half to get all these submissions. So it gave me a ton of time to read what all these interesting people had to say, see, see these uh, questions being addressed from different perspectives and it allowed me to reflect on it, which of course is a big part of the, mm -hmm. uh, of the learning process is that opportunity to practice and then later reflect. Um, so I, you know, it was just, easier minus the clerical stuff. And then, then I, I schlepped a bunch of work onto a graphic designer named Liliana Marchica, who really was uh, earned her paycheck. I think she's probably supposed to do three page, you know, a graphic or a three page guide instead of a 120 page book. So thanks to her. But uh, yeah, for me, it was just this amazing opportunity uh, to, re to reflect on all these things coming in over a month and a half, which, you know, it's, it's a luxury and I'll probably won't really get that kind of opportunity too many times. Um, and I hope it played a little bit of role in introducing other people to, um, who might have read it to the, uh, the authors and the ideas and the recommended books and podcasts as well. So I thought that was one of the values of the curation. But for me, it was it was a great re reflection opportunity. Have you gotten any feedback from your readers? Um, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Yeah, yeah, uh, especially the first weeks. You know, um, it, it it was uh, really positive. One of the um, funniest and most uh, outspoken bits of feedback was from Elisa Lynch, who from Ireland, who we didn't, I didn't know. And I know she was online. Uh, Elisa, could you, uh, She's could you here. share your thoughts? Yeah, Elisa's here. When you got it? She may be, because uh, she put herself on uh, mute and no video. So she may be on- Maybe on working. Call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it was positive. Um, I, I guess one thing that I got, maybe you guys can help me because my computer's malfunctioning here, but there are a couple guys, uh, people who um, practice. Elisa's on now. Hi, Elisa. Hi, Elisa's on. Hey, Elisa, could, could, you, uh, could we be so rude as to ask you to uh, share 
your experience when, when you first found this guide and, and first read it? Yeah, sorry, I have a dog going mad in the background. Can you give me one second? It's good. It's good. <laughs> Oops, what did you do to the dog? I have no clue. <laughs> I just closed the door. I just closed the door so I can still hear him, but hopefully you can. Okay. Um, so, sorry, Jeff, can you repeat the question? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I know some, some, somehow you stumbled across this guide on social media and I was just kind of curious, what was, what was your take? What were your thoughts when you stumbled across it and found it and started reading it? Um, I got really excited when I saw it um, because for me, um, I've been dabbling around with New View for quite a while now, but um, it's not always accessible. Um, it's, and a lot of it's very kind of, academic and it's all kind of like concepts but this I found really um useful like there's some really good tips in there um and it just made it yeah more usable for me and then the fact that there were so many people that I already follow and look up to and read their stuff and listen to their podcasts and then like you're literally all in the same place I just thought it was unreal I loved it so yeah cool that's great yeah, yeah, I, we were trying, I was trying to make it more, you know, accessible, intro level, practical, here's a couple mm -hmm. things you can do, so I'm glad to hear that. Anybody else uh, read the book and want to share your comments about your feedback on the book? You know, if I could just jump in real fast, uh, we talked about it, the fact that it's diverse, and I tried to make it diverse, but it's not as diverse as I wish it had been. But um, in terms of reactions, one of the reactions I, I wanna mention real fast, and you can, maybe hopefully you guys can help me because my other computer is failing me. I'm on LinkedIn trying to find the name. There are two guys from Brazil who uh, study and practice safety in Australia. One is named Hugo. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Could, does Hugo anyone... Ribeiro, yeah, Hugo Ribeiro, yeah. Thank you. So um, he and his buddy, whose name I don't remember at the moment, I apologize, uh, reached out. They were really excited. They, they uh, First of all, they, they said, hey, could we translate this uh, into Spanish? And then uh, later, or Brazil Portuguese. would be Portuguese, right? Yeah. yeah, sorry about that. And um, later they ended up just saying like, hey, can we just ask people these same questions? And, and, and I said, yeah, please do. And so they, they're, I, hopefully they're in the process of creating their guide. So one thing I just want to point out about that is they're um, going to create that guide in order to sell it to help people in Brazil who are suffering from COVID. So mm -hmm. um, I would encourage everybody listening to this, uh, you know, skip my guide, go buy their guide and help out some people who, who are in having trouble. Um, so I wish that project a lot of luck. Yeah, nice comment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you asked if anybody um, had any thoughts um, about the book that was present. And uh, sometimes it takes a while to get your thoughts together. Uh, so I wanted to ask the question again, because um, you're here on this, at this event for a reason. Maybe you just want to talk about that. Why, what attracted you to come today? Oh, I was, I was really yeah, surprised. To the audience, yeah. Say, say I, I, I spoke over you. I didn't hear the last thing you said. I, I said, I was asking the audience. Oh, the audience. Yeah, please share everybody. <laughs> Janice? Janice, go ahead, Janice. Hi there. Um, I heard about um, the new view again through Jeff and uh, via Gary as well out of Vancouver here. And I, um, I come from an industry in the mining industry on the front end. 
mineral exploration where we don't have safety professionals. You know, when you get into the huge projects and the big corporation, but there are actually many businesses out there that don't have safety professionals. So I'm dealing, you know, trying to support leaders who are actually having to be technical leaders, safety, community relations, all of these things all at once. And um, it's always intrigued me about, uh, I've, I've interacted and met and learned from many of the contributors in this, but I haven't read it yet. So what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, I, uh, is first off, thank you for putting this out there. And I'm curious now, I haven't read it yet, but you know, I, from the questions I see, oh, about safety professionals. Now, how might this, you know, scaffold help me scaffold as well to um, supporting project leaders that have to deal with it in an integrated way? I'm, I'm really curious about that. Yeah, Janice, what are, what are your daily work responsibilities then? So I could try to answer that a little better. Sorry, I'm independent. But I have been a, a project manager, and project I've manager. been a, a technical leader, geologist. There's a whole spectrum in there. Okay. But now I'm really trying to help. Uh, you know, I'm focused on helping the leaders, the managers. Well, one of the, you know, one of the questions Gary had for me: What are some of the recurrent themes that came up? And and one of the uh, most recurrent themes is that this stuff maybe isn't really about safety, and it's about business success. Um, it's about operations. It's about production. Uh, Rosa wrote an amazing piece, which was eight or 12 pages long. And, and, and it's all and her, her piece is all about human relationships. Um, there, there's a lot, uh, there, there, there are strong underpinnings of uh, Edgar Schein's work on organizational culture and all of the, all these thinkers. There's a lot of Amy Edmondson and psychological safety and, and the importance of teaming. Um, so I, I think mostly uh, the guide could help anybody in any field if they're thinking about how they want to uh, relate with coworkers, how they want to make effective teams, and how they want to have better success at work. Um, Rosa or Gary, anybody want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think you raise a good point. Um, we, we seem to be going through cycles in business. For a while there, um, safety was just something that happened. It was, it was kind of like a secondary thought because it's all about production. So we go back to the, you know, the early days of, the, uh, of mass production and everything else. But then we went to that phase where other things started raising importance and we started to create these new titles like chief quality officer. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden there's a chief safety officer. And all of a sudden we, we take these ideas and we raise them up and we put somebody in charge of that. And I remember um, during the quality movement somebody was made, you know, I am the chief quality officer for this organization. And we all looked at each other going like, oh, is Joe going to be in charge of quality? What, what do I do now? Um, so it had a bad taste to it. So like, so Janice, in some cases, because you and I have done some stuff in mining together, is I'm okay not having a mining safety sort of chief inspector, whatever you want to call it. Because I think safety is kind of ingrained and embedded throughout the organization. And I do like the idea of Jeff, as you and I have talked about, it's really about the business and what are the different aspects of business going on. I mean, we're seeing it now, there's gonna be a chief digital transformation officer. Like I'm going like, what is going on here? 
yeah that, that, thank you for sharing that yeah so yeah. that's what that was what my gut feeling was is that you know there's going to be lots of relevance here and you know isn't that the core thing that uh you know about risk and opportunity uh, the underpinning of safety so i'm really looking forward to it thank you yeah. thank you for for your transparency janice because uh even though you didn't read the book, you had a purpose for being here, which uh, I highly applaud. The whole issue of um, how do we talk with management, how do we get managers involved it is a huge one, which could probably be another book, uh, Jeff. <laughs> Experiences in senior management involvement. Uh, so um, I, I'm wondering, uh, Jeff, uh, Jim Marinas, did you read the book or because it, it obviously you don't have to have read it to comment on uh, how do we uh, get managers uh, how do we help managers how do we support them in in this area because I know you do a lot of work with that I, I did read the book and okay. to answer your first question the reason I'm here is because I was intrigued uh, when I saw this effort I my immediate uh, response was to applaud. Thank you. Because putting all of that into a relatively small footprint, I mean, look at the breadth of the input that you got. Uh, it was really a, a contribution to our, our business and our, our industry as a whole. Um, from the, the perspective of um, leadership involvement, um, I, I agree with what many of the folks uh, said, and I think you summarized also, Jeff, and that's that the conversations are really where you have to start. And having the um, the in is important because you, you can't talk to these folks unless you're invited in. Mm -hmm. So um, Good I think that the, the credibility uh, necessary um, is something that I think our industry needs to work on. Um, and as long as we're talking in divisive ways, uh, our credibility suffers. Uh, we, we've got to have a, a community of practice that realizes that we all have opinions, but we're all in it for the same reason. And I don't think senior leadership yet sees that clearly. And so, you know, that would be one of the things that I think we need to pursue. Mm -hmm. That was great, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, can I jump in here for a sec? Uh, hi, uh, Peter. How are you? Uh, uh, I haven't read I haven't read the book yet either. So uh, I reached out to uh, Tamara just to have a chat with her. So she suggested I uh, uh, join in today. So I find it quite interesting already. Um, but. Um, so I've got a background in the environmental health and safety for 20 something years. So uh, this management quotient of all this, it's, uh, I could tell you that was the, uh, to me it was the most important thing was getting the uh, management on side. So I think sometimes you have to kind of be like a bull in a china shop at times because you have to get your point across and I always found that the two words that uh, kind of got their attention was uh, due diligence and liability. And as soon as you said liability, that equals equates money, right? So you have a, somebody gets hurt or somebody does whatever, right? So 
you know, when these start seeing the money going out one way as opposed to, uh, you know, coming in in a sense. So that was always, you know, I had a lot of chats with, uh, you know, my manager, plant managers, you know, over time and even the owners too, right? So, uh, I mean, but you, you have to be diligent about it because, um, you know, it can be out of sight, out of mind one day and the next day it's, you know, you know, you know, nobody cares about it again until somebody gets hurt or there's an incident or something, right? So it's a pretty important part. The management part of getting them on side, I think, is one of the key components to a, you know, like a healthy safety program for sure. And if they buy in, you know, then, you know, it trickles down, right? So I mean, that ends up going to the, however you want to describe it, the supervisors or the, you know, the department managers or things like that too, right? So that's a pretty important uh uh, portion of all this, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Hey, if I could jump in <clears throat> and share something, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Uh, okay. we, we mentioned yet that Jeff Lith is not here today. Um, and I did talk to him briefly yesterday and, uh, he, he gave me a quick, a quick comment. So I don't know all the context or background, but he said that in the Australian courts of law right now, it's now being seen as a uh, legal advantage to have been using a hop or safety uh, differently or safety two um, uh, philosophy or theory as part of your safety program. So admittedly, I don't know anything about that, but that might be something worth Googling. And it speaks to the issue that Peter was just saying about liability. Yeah, yeah. Peter raises a good point uh, when you talked about, because the question we all ask is what's in it for me? And I know that um, down in Australia, because they have some pretty draconian laws and they've had to put them in place because maybe the C-suite has been giving lip service and they haven't been paying attention. People are still getting hurt and injured. How do you kind of like grab hold of them and shake them and give them their attention? Particularly if they've injuries are still taking place. So is it fining? Is it putting people in jail, the solution? I'm, I'm not quite sure, but somehow we've got to kind of get your, wake them up and get your attention. I think that's what, that's what we're really talking about. Mm. Well, you know, this is interesting because I had a, a post on LinkedIn that where I asked about how do you get managers out on the floor? Because the, the one thing I always hear from employees, there's no management visibility here. How do we know that they actually care? And then when they when they do start talking about safety, they have no idea what they're talking about because they haven't been out here doing the work or seeing the work, right? So uh, a lot of people said, well, wait a minute, you know, sometimes uh, management engagement is a negative thing because they come out on the floor and they actually damage uh, the morale uh, by the way they're acting. So we have to be careful in this. Yes, we can motivate people by bringing up the liability issue, but then the quality of interaction isn't what we want because they're not out there from a human perspective or a caring perspective. They're out there from a compliance and avoiding going to jail perspective. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm, I'm just getting this insight right this moment because uh, yeah, it, it yeah. matters what attitude you have when you go out on the floor to talk to people. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Do you think there's creating more confusion 
when we constantly have new theories and safety, this number, safety, that number, hop, et cetera, that when we come to the executive teams talking like this, they kind of look at us like, what are you guys talking about? Like, I think I, I'm I think from Jim the floor. I, yeah, I'm, I'm from the floor. And when I'm hearing all this, like what Jim was saying, it just kind of strikes me as very bizarre conversations to be quite candid. We don't have marketing and accounting and, and production and all those other departments coming to you saying, I have a new theory this week. Are you going to buy in? Because like, no, because you know what? Next month, you're going to bring something different to me. And the following month, it'll be like hop five, like whatever, like just do your job. Like I'm on my soapbox getting off. What are other people's thoughts? But I think you're right, Tamara, that Jim spoke to that well. And, and I think there is a sense that, or has been a sense, and hopefully it's ending, that safety has been too tribal and too divisive, and that's been non-helpful. I think Jim spoke to that well. I, I think the guide, uh, the contributors of the guide repeatedly mentioned that actually a lot of this stuff is not new. Um, and, and that we don't have to see safety two as a op binary opposition of safety one, and, and that they could be complementary. And, and I think that the, the, the tribalism hopefully can end. And I think everyone in the guide said that. Um, and, and we can see that these are complementary efforts and, and hopefully that would help. But I, I agree with your, but, your larger but point. But what I'm trying to bring forward is the perception that we're presenting to other colleagues in the organization about our professionalism. That's, that's my point is really is like how we're, we're facing the world as professionals. I see somebody's hand up. Michael, why don't you join in? Unmute yourself, Michael. You're muted. Um, oh, I do apologize for that. Um, I think you're being a bit hard on yourself. I'm not too sure that it's not I don't think it's within, um, it should be the initiative or the, the owner should be on safety to make themselves better understood and to be seen as professional. I believe you folks all are, um, as are quality people. Um, but the modern organization doesn't allow for going on the floor um, to be able to appreciate the complexity and variation that's inherent in any kind of production facility or a, a, an iron ore facility. We don't have the labor to do that. And as long as, as long as people, humans, labor is seen as a cost and not as a, um, a sentient being that's capable of identifying problems, uh, commenting on safety issues, as long as we don't have that level of um, uh, workforce, numbers in the workforce, and we won't be able to do this. We're, you know, we just won't do it and things will not change. But there isn't sufficient labor. There isn't sufficient labor to be able to do the things that are required to do to run cost-effective, um, great quality, great safety, to do all those things, because the paradigm around which we organize ourselves doesn't allow for that. It, but it isn't the lack of willing sentient beings that cause that. No, not at all. It's just there's not enough of them. If I raise my hand um, and if I see a problem on the floor or out in the field, there's nobody to respond to it. There, there just isn't the numbers. And I know I raised this before and it, it, there was some consternation or pushback, but at Toyota, they have four times more labor in the front line than General Motors. They have four times more labor than Ford and Chrysler. 
they have double the labor per vehicle than Porsche does. They stop the line 3,000 times a week in each plant. Nothing slips by. If it's a safety issue, if it's a quality issue, it doesn't get by. And their staff to respond to that emergent issue, much the same way as we have fire departments in every big major city and we pay firefighters to sleep at night because we don't know when they'll be needed. How many of the organizations that you've worked in have that type of workforce ready, prepared to act on an emergent basis? Yeah, valid question, Michael, because it's, it's when I raised in lecture to Tilly's, we actually have emergency crews on standby 24 seven. So if the power goes out, they fix it. Yeah. But when you ask the question, so do you have a standby improvement team? Exactly. An improvement team. Uh, what's that? No. Well, do you realize the great opportunities that you are missing because you don't have that team ready to respond quickly, you know, and, and take some action? And it's not just the opportunities you're missing. When you don't catch those, you're mass producing your mistakes. And when you mass produce your mistakes to then correct them later on, either downstream or, or, or on warranty, it's horrifically much more expensive. So the notion of stopping a line um, multiple hundreds of thousands of times a week and a day um, to be able to deal with issues, variances, um, complexity as it emerges, <clears throat> for them it just makes complete and total sense because not to do so, and think about it in a hospital as well. If I can't identify um, a problem that's causing patients to get more sick, like the insertion of a needle, um, not doing enough swaps, not having enough nurses on, on, on duty and on a ward to be able to conduct all of the items that they have to do in addition to all the emergent issues that will come up on a ward, things get worse, people stay longer, people get sicker, and it becomes more expensive. Hiring 10 more nurses on a ward actually reduces cost. Well, that certainly goes against lean principles, doesn't it, Michael? Absolutely. And Toyota says that's what lean came out of Toyota. And Toyota says everyone that does lean is doing it wrong. Yeah, there's a whole thing on GE taking up lean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that is another conversation. Yeah. I'm also seeing that Janice is, is weighing in. Uh huh. Janice, Janice, you got a couple of questions in the chat. Why don't you read? Yeah, you know what? I, I'm, well, curious just from what you were saying, Michael, there is um, we talk about uh, safety and, um, you know, and then we also, um, like, are we talking about health in terms of is that like, um, you know, more of a preventative side or are in the language alone of talking about safety, are we missing out on that, conveying that opportunity? Uh, that's what I was just getting out of what you were saying there. And then my second question is, is what could uh, this new safety and, um, you know, the various contributions to it evolve into? Like, what would you, what would you see it being like 20 years out? It'd be interesting to wildcat that. Well, uh, we, we would have to ask Eric Hallnagel about what new safety is going to be 20 years out. But, but hopefully it'll be uh, a, um, a breakdown of some of these silos. Uh, hopefully it'll be um, further improvement in, in the human kind of human relationships at work and, and teaming. 
we're talking about. I really, I think it was Michael, if I remember, I, I just wanted to, I appreciate what you, what you said there. And I th thank you for that. I think you're right that um, one, one point you're making is that our organizations are not um, cultures or islands in their own, but they're nested in larger uh, cultures, national cultures, global economic cultures, all which is true. And, and, and I hear you, you hear the point you're making, of course, I, I assume you're not saying we shouldn't try. Uh, is that true? Yeah, and, I, and I'm cautious about using the word culture. Um, I think it's a mental model. And it was a mental model that was created not by a particular cultural culture in how it's commonly understood in terms of a, an ethnic background or a location. It has much more to do with um, need. You know, you're coming out of the Second World War, you have a destroyed economy and you're, you have to compete against the biggest company in the world doing it the traditional way or doing it the same way they, they were doing it was not going to cut it. Particularly when you had no market, you had no natural resources, you had limitations on, on everything. So you had required them to make some, some changes and challenge some of the assumptions that were commonly held. And one was that in a, in a traditional hierarchy, going back to Gary referenced the industrial revolution, when you had people coming into industrial concerns at that time. The, the people that were doing so were moving from rural communities, they were illiterate, they had no formal education. So the, the organization design was to limit them in terms of their ability or their autonomy to make decisions, to participate in decision-making. They were a, a set of hands. And then you inculcate thinking and decision-making at the top. And the second design construct was to segregate people based on what they know and have movement up within a silo rather than across the flow. Now, nearly every organization that you folks work in today is designed along those, along those lines. Toyota has, has changed that. And that was a recognition in the 1950s that our people are smart, they're educated, they, they, and they understand complexity and variation at the point at, at the workforce on the floor to a degree that no one above them will. And if we don't involve them and engage them, and it's, a, it's a also a recognition of the second law of thermodynamics, right? The, um, and, um, about um, uh, we're moving from states of order to disorder. That's always gonna happen, that's nonstop. So any kind of change initiative is ridiculous. It's happening anyway. So it's a recognition that, um, <coughs> because things are constantly changing, we need to put a control on that, which in the case of Toyota's people, and we have to identify what those changes are, good, bad, or indifferent, and we have to respond and react to those changes. To do that requires a sensory network at the front level who can um, engage in that. I'm sorry, it, I'm talking way too much here. No, no, you're, you're, you're fantastic. You should talk more. Um, but um, but is, so isn't that part of the reason why, why lean sometimes, as you said, Toyota's saying people are doing lean wrong. People have tried to take that as, as a, uh, a portable toolkit and apply it at their organization, but they're not changing their culture. They don't have those uh, fundamental understandings that, that, that you're talking about that Toyota had. And, and really those, you know, and Shine would talk about the uh, underlying assumptions or, or um, uh, may, and you might be referred to a mental model that way, my, my heuristics, my way of seeing the world. Um, and, and that's what's kind of missing. So when you, when you apply total quality management or you apply lean and, and try to just pop it in your organization, uh, all those under, deep uh, unstated undercurrents are, are fighting against it, right? 
Well, I like I, I, I liken it to um, Russell Askoff would say in terms of systems, he says, you can take a car apart, the best car in the world, and you can take it apart and it no longer is a car. Even though all the parts are located in the room, it's lost all function, it's lost its, its, its nature of being a car. And I think that's what happened when people went to Toyota and they looked at Lean, they looked at a part of their company and said, let's do that, or let's do quality, um, or let's do safety. Deming, as a matter of fact, Tanya, you, you just mentioned Deming here. Deming was a huge, huge influence on the folks. It's, so the culture is really not one that's Asian or Japanese, but it was so much informed by Ford, uh, by Deming, by Americans. And they just did whatever they needed to do to get, to get by in the 50s. So I think yeah. that seems to be the problem. We look at the one thing that becomes obvious and what we don't see are all of the other, the interactions that take place inside and outside of those domains, those areas that enable them to do it. My frustration is that we talk about this at, at an academic, you know, at the head, but we never get down below that too. How the heck do we get people, the you know, the people with the power, to buy into adopting the central beliefs and assumptions that need to be in place in order for this to all work? Which goes to my point earlier that managers can go walk the floor, but that doesn't mean that they're uh, that they're interacting in the way that they need to interact. And I see Eliza kind of nodding her. Ed, what, what are you thinking? Um, I suppose I'm thinking of a few points that were made earlier, first by Tamara and then by Janice. Um, I definitely identify with Tamara saying like, because I've done it, I've sat in the boardroom and go, I want to do safety differently. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know, let's do it. And, um, and they're just like, yeah, there's no credibility there. And I can't even verbalize what it is that I want to do. Sorry, I just realized I swore. Anyway, um, so, and then to Janice's point, you wrote there in, in, the, in the chat of like, what could New View Safety or HOP evolve into? And it's like, well, what actually will other people be saying about it in 20 years? Could they be going, oh yeah, that HOP New View thing, that's, that's gone now, we're moving on to something else. And, they were so like the way we like a lot of people now go oh traditional safety that's crap just move on to the new view people could be saying that about what we're doing right now in another 20 years so i don't know what it's going to evolve into but and back to tomorrow's point there is definitely a level of i suppose professionalism and, and co cohesiveness that needs to be across the whole thing because at the moment yeah we we do look scattered and it's great to get excited about all the new stuff but there's lots of great stuff in, in traditional safety as well. Um, so that's, sorry, I've gone off on a... <laughs> I, I, I like to go back to what that point that Peter made. We seem to be entangled a lot with other paradigms. Mm. And honestly, when you talk to the C-suite, particularly the CFO, the paradigm that is so strong is the finance one. Mm. It's the monetary side of things. And for us as safety folks to go there and start talking our paradigms, this CFO has taken that, translating it through their Rolodex and mine saying, what does this mean in terms of dollars? Mm -hmm. Where is the ROI, ROA and all that language? And so it, it becomes a dilemma for me, I've experienced it. So 
if I'm up here, they're down here, is it up to me to raise them up or is it up to me to come down here, connect with them, talk shop with them, that allows me to connect and then bring them up there together. And I've done both, but I think I have more success getting down to their level, finding out where they are. So what I'm really trying to say is that we got to meet the customer or the person we're talking to at the level that they're at, first of all. Then once you kind of like build that relationship, Rosa, with them and bond, then it's an easier to kind of bring them up. But you do that together, not independently. You have to you have to find out where they are, like you know, like their mindset and everything else. That's the first thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was in three different three different uh, industries. Uh, you know, I, was in, I worked for Magna at one time. Uh, so go back to I guess Michael's kind of bailiwick there a bit, but. Then I went to Goodyear. They made tires, you know, and then the next one, the oil and gas. So they all look at things differently. And, and the industries themselves are completely different, too. You know, it's uh, more, you know, there were the tire was more physical. So, you know, the machinery and everything you look at and, you know, the ergonomics that go along with everything else is a completely different as opposed to during the oil and gas or in at the car plant or something like that or putting on parts or something like that, you know, so. The scenarios are all different, but you still need, well, my experience, you still need to, you know, you still need to find out what the man is thinking and, you know, what his thought process is and, you know, what his views are, right? And then that's where you have to kind of start from, right? So uh, for me, but, uh, you know, like I thought it was, but I mean, you, you got to keep, you know, it's a never ending job because, uh, you know, you got to keep at them, right? Because you know, they're worried about quality or their whatever it is or production or you know who knows but uh you know it's a, something where I, I made a point of like having regular contact every day to go in to talk to them instead of you know unless something happened or whatever you know like a, you, you kind of need to i guess i hate to use it this way, but you have to kind of need to be in their face regularly <laughs> so uh but you know yeah, these are very strong paradigms. I mean, I'm sure that all company vision statements have say, you know, our employees are our number one asset. And you go, okay, fine. So show me where they show up on the balance sheet. Yeah. Are they on the revenue side or are they on the liability side or are they on the expense side? Why don't we go and change that? Oh, you can't change it. Those are laws, right? Those are rules. Yeah. So these people are also constrained by their little paradigms as well. Mm -hmm. So Peter, you, I, I believe you're quite correct. We've got to help them escape their paradigms as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they, you know, like they can't help themselves, right? Because they're there to do a job is to get product out or get, you know, their, you know, it's just probably one little thing that they don't realize, but I mean, you know, in a sense, but it can be very costly, right? So, um, so I guess, you know, that's, I used to say to these guys all the time, so it's my job here is to make sure you go home safely every day, yeah. you know, and that was kind of like my mantra, right? It's like, you know, so they, they understand that, you know, like you're, you know, you know, we got things to do here and you need to think about this properly. And, you know, so I found that we, the last little while while still working that we spent a lot of time going down and training the managers and the supervisors. And that's where it helped going, you know, cascade down from the top and all the way down. Right. So, I mean, you spend as much time on the managers and supervisors that, you know, we we're talking about this before, you know, how they interact with people. Well, if you give them 
the proper training or, you know, like the training that they need, you'd like to think that that kind of rubs off on them, right? And that's how they interact with people on the floor. Yeah, right. Tanya, does your hand go up? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the reference, but um, I was on a, on a conference recently where a company had talked about, and, and they're in the power distribution service. They had talked about, you know, this new view stuff, but not, not just as safety. So they unveiled it to their entire organization. So we're talking HR, we're talking finance, we're talking procurement, we're talking production and all the, the normal stuff. So what they did was, um, I don't remember the, forgive me, I don't have the details on their program and the details might be important. But what I remember is that they had a core team of people interdisciplinary who were trained in the, in the hot philosophy kind of thing. They had uh, cards that they put on everybody's lanyards kind of thing. And they didn't, they didn't treat it as safety as much as, as just the way we do our jobs. And so, I mean, is, so if there was a mistake that happened in HR, which happens all the time, right? We, people are people and people make mistakes. And we have to just recognize this as just part of the human condition. And so it doesn't really matter what job you're in, you're liable to, to make a mistake. And if I don't care, you know, uh, the, we often classify things on severity, but the mistakes can happen in all sorts of things. And if we can bring this stuff to anywhere, so we're talking finance and HR and uh, you know and janitorial services and all the rest of this, they'll see the benefits of this stuff, no matter what they're doing. And this company was early on their journey, but they had been doing it for about eighteen months or something, and they were they were seeing the payoffs because people were starting to use different uh, language in their in their meetings, they were starting to see different reactions when things were going um, off kilter. And they started to see people collaborating across the, the industry, across their company, because they started to recognize, oh, I can help you with what I'm doing. Okay, you know, so this was starting to become a, a much stronger concept once you took the safety out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and to go back to what we, kind of where we started, um, a lot of the contributors to this guide said this is not about safety. So, so maybe if you're trying to advance it in your organization, you shouldn't advance it in the safety uh, department, or maybe you shouldn't use the word safety. And, you know, Elisa talked about, uh, like, she went into a meeting and she was like, I want to do safety differently. And, and, and everyone's like, well, you know, James McPherson kind of said the same thing in a guide, like, um, Ron Gant, by, by contrast, now says, I don't, I don't even use these words when I'm going to a company, right? And, and, and so maybe we shouldn't be using these, all, these, all the jargon that comes with our, our, our little bags, and, and maybe we shouldn't even be trying to introduce this to safety. And Tanya's point is right, that you know, half the contributors made, made the point that Tanya just made correctly. But that speaks to um, changing the system, the, the entire system, and questioning all of the, the assumptions we, we have about how we organize ourselves and how we bring people together to get to get work done, regardless of what that is, what that ever is. Yeah. And there's a huge, huge reluctance to do that. Yeah. Um, beliefs run deep. Try talking someone out of their religious beliefs. 
um, any beliefs that they may have. Look what's going on in the United States. We, um, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't come easy. And if a finance person is responsible for, for um, uh, holding to the conventions that are outlined in uh, general accounting practices, that's what they will do. And if that means we can't put a price on the value of, of, of a safety initiative, but I can measure the fact that if you stop the line, we're gonna have fewer things rolling off at the end of the day, I don't know, I can't approve that. And that so, belief runs incredibly deep and strong. So, so Jeff, I, I'm, seeing, I'm hearing the spark of, a, of your next book. <laughs> it won't be safety, but it's really, what is it that we have to change? And maybe it is, as Michael says, from the system point of view, not just safety, but it's finance, it's manufacturing, you name it, it's all there. So instead of the four questions, and I thank you for asking those four questions, we need to think about what are the next four questions that we wanna ask and how can we actually create these pathways for these newer voices to talk a bit about what, where we're gonna to go to. I'm just rec well, you, recognizing time, we've got five minutes left. So um, if anybody got some more comments, just um, please share them right now. I just Anyone wanted to, to share one pattern that I'm seeing and whether it's relevant for, for this. Um, is a lot of organizations, you know, as we're trying to move towards, um, you know, green economies and things like that, many businesses are, that's front of mind as well, um, as part of the people, planet, profit scenario. And it's also driven by the finance community and the investors. So there are all of these standards that are actually coming almost like an avalanche. They've already been there. Env ESGs, environmental social governance. And you notice there's no safety in there anymore. Right. So it's something that's becoming more front of mind. But, and that's what I'm seeing in organizations. They're starting to see safety as kind of like, oh, well, we've done that. But yet, they're very much tied together in terms of a risk perspective and decision-making perspective. So I, you know, I'm just, what I've been learning and, and exploring through, um, through New View Safety is their universality that can keep that relevant and front of mind in helping to support decisions in the world of work, you know, and, and working together on all of those fronts. So if you get leverage ahead of that, otherwise this could all get left behind potentially. So, uh, you know, maybe that influences the organizing of them together as well. Just a thought that a pattern that I've been seeing. The funny thing is I have no, I have no background in safety whatsoever. Um, and I think sometimes that that is the issue is that this conversation is looking at how does safety change and how do we have to deal with or evolve safety? And we're talking from safety practitioners perspective, this whole conversation should be about frontline. This should be about how are we gonna enable the frontline? How do we create conditions that allow the people who are exposed to the greatest danger to tell us when that danger is imminent, to tell us what improvements have to be made? And it's not about psychology. It's giving them the tools and the structure and the mechanisms to be able to tell us, we need to do something here. And what we do instead is we say, we recognize this is an issue, so let's ship this off and we'll make this in Bangladesh where we can kill people. Okay. So I'm gonna leave the last two minutes for this 
conversation that's coming at the top of our. Um, I always like to end with um, asking the author three takeaways, Jeff. What would you like to leave with the audience? Your three takeaways. Well, uh, the, I just want to thank everybody uh, here, first of all, for listening in and um, all the contributors, of course, and, and Safepedia and, and my own workplace, Vector Solutions, who uh, let me spend all that time making this guide. Um, the three takeaways I, I thought were, were one that we, uh, we, we shouldn't be divisive. Um, and there were times I kind of wanted the title of the guide back. So it didn't say new safety and therefore uh, suggest an old safety and suggest that new safety is better. The, the uh, other thing is um, that there's no like checklist approach for implementing th this, but, but I thought the guide and, and the contributors offered some, some good principles to get started on it. And then, and lastly, uh, maybe if I can add four things, um, you know, I think it's a multidisciplinary approach, and and I think uh, I think it's Michael. I, I can only see your name when you're speaking. I, I think you're right. We have to put the obviously the the needs of the workers first, and and understand their expertise and, and knowledge. Great. Okay. Well, it's it's nine o'clock, so I think we're at the top of our so. Thank you everybody for joining us again for another lightning session I think we had today. So tomorrow, over to you to close it off. Uh, yeah, no, it is that time again. So thank you everybody for choosing to spend this hour with us. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Jeff, for carving out time to join us and share your guide and, and share create such great conversation. It was wonderful. We hope that you come back. Um, did you have any last thoughts before we go? Well, I, I just got, I forgot to thank my mom and dad for listening in. They've been texting. So th thanks to them. Thanks to everybody else. I guess the, the other thing, I, I, I am an L&D professional, so, and I'm not a safety professional. So the reason I find this interesting is I feel like it's about learning and organizational learning. So I, I, I do want to trumpet my own, uh, my own special interests here. Right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for coming. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.